Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners like you are coming together to transform tomorrow. Boost your skills with tech boot camps and carve out a new career path through dynamic, future-forward courses. The world of work is evolving. Future-proof yourself with SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology. The host for this episode is Wumi Adekambi. Wumi immigrated 10 years ago from Nigeria, where she was a post-secondary instructor and researcher and led a youth empowerment nonprofit. Wumi is passionate about people, information, and solutions in that order. Wumi is the organizer and host of Immigrant Techies Alberta, a tech enthusiast group for skilled immigrants who are in or are interested in pivoting to tech careers and startups. Now let's join Wumi as she has a conversation with Ali Abid. Take it away, Wumi. Hello, my name is Wumi Adekombi, and I'll be your host for today. My guest today for this podcast is Ali Abid. Ali is a healthcare designer. He works at Alberta Health Services. He's someone who has his hands in many things, one of them being a social enterprise called Gen Health, trying to tackle elderly loneliness. He loves volunteering and going on hikes with his family. Welcome to the podcast, Ali. Thanks, Winmi. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming. It's a, it's a privilege to have you join the show. So let's let's meet you, Ali. What's what's your journey like? How did you get into? How did you become this person that loves transformation work that wants to create innovation? What's what led you here? It's a good question. <laughs> you know, when I um, when you ask me that question, I'm just like you have started getting flashback. Like, how did it start? And to be honest, um, I have a clinical background, so I I have training in healthcare and as a profession doing ultrasound of the heart. And I always, um, from my first job, I've had this mindset of like, you know, if you can make things better, just do it, right? You find a need, you fill a need. And so that improvement mindset has always been there. And I kind of started going to the, kind of the, you know, the career pathway of you start becoming the frontline and you want to become a supervisor and a manager and um, I realized I was really not enjoying that pathway of just a tr- typical operational kind of world. But I had a lot of fun when I would start projects on trying to improve, you know, patient care or improve, you know, staff experience. And so then I kind of made the the flip into consultancy in healthcare and I became a, a quality improvement consultant. And these are basically um, support staff behind the scenes of, in hospitals and and you know clinics who are trying to help the uh, the team, the actual frontline staff and the leadership, you know, to start projects and to you know make improvements. And then, totally by accident, I remember I had met my current boss, who's uh, who started the Alberta Health Services Design Lab, Marlies Van Dyke. I had met her in 2015, 
at a conference. She thought I was crazy. She still says that today. And, um, and before you know it, um, I was, she kind of, we were connecting over email and she told me about the design lab and she's like, Hey, you want to come work for me? I'm like, let's do it. You know, once in a lifetime opportunity. And now it's been a total of three years with the lab, but in healthcare, I've been now about 10 years now coming mm. to when I started in 2011. Wow. So Alberta Health Services Design Lab, what, what is that about? What's, what birthed that? What was the need in the system? And like, I, I think it's cool that yeah. Alberta Health Services has a, a particular section designed to just uh, result for innovation. I mean, that's, that's interesting. It's super cool because uh, we're actually probably the only kind of department, you can say, in, in a health system in Western Canada that is focused on bringing design thinking into the healthcare world. Uh, we don't have a lot of those. We actually, it's very rare in the world anyways to have actual a design thinking kind of uh, team in a healthcare system. It's very rare. Healthcare is really behind when it comes to the tech world or other industries. But mm -hmm. we are kind of, you know, the first wave, you can say, using the pandemic kind of analogy. Okay, so... Tell us about the design lab. How did that come about? Yeah, so uh, the design lab started uh, about four years ago by Marlies Van Dyke. And uh, she basically saw that a lot of the improvement in healthcare is very incremental. And we need sometimes some big shifts, some transformational ways of really trying to look at our problems differently and come up with more innovative solutions. So, and you know, the design lab, it really is embedded in design thinking. And we use that methodology to solve complex problems. And, and that's what we do. We have worked on problems like opioid crisis to elderly loneliness to mental complex mental health in children and adults. Uh, we're working with the government in trying to improve home care. And so there's tons of stuff we've done. And they're all in amazing projects and with tons of stakeholders there's no perfect recipe and you just have to kind of work with people and figure out and design thinking really helps to, you know, create a process in which we can bring everyone together and ensure that we remain human centered. So, so it's more like um, employing a very holistic approach to healthcare rather than managing, managing health is more wellness oriented, would you say? Yeah. And I think to, just to add to that, it's, it's truly about, we're moving into territories that are very unknown. There's no, what we call is evidence-based medicine in certain areas. These are all social mm -hmm. health and social problems. And that's where that, you know, even the experts don't know exactly how to solve. And that's the perfect definition right. of a complex problem. And so that's why you need uh, the, really the spirit is to co-design solutions with everyone together. And that's what we do. We bring everyone together and, we try to come up with a different way of framing the problem and then coming up and pushing the team to, you know, go bold and try a solution that might not be even intuitive and just be okay with mm -hmm. risk taking. And knowing how structured for good reason the healthcare system is, how, how easy or how difficult is it to, to do some transformation project knowing that so many in systems are interlinked and are complex on their own. So how, how, how is that with um, stakeholders that are within the healthcare system already? 
How open are they to looking at things from a different angle? How is your team doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're asking a really tough question. And the, rea- the answer, unfortunately, is not very. The healthcare system is very risk averse. And it's partly because if you look at the origins of the healthcare system, it was built by medical professionals that are focused on trying to reduce harm, make sure we do safe procedures, make sure we do everything according to protocol, you know, follow the proper procedures and process and, you know, don't deviate. So that kind of mindset and culture doesn't really create space for innovation, which is really about risk-taking, moving into the unknown. However, you know, our lab is just... I think it's an anomaly that we are existing right now in, a, in the healthcare system like Alberta Health Services. Mm-hmm. And we are trying to nudge the culture um, to allow for risk-taking, to do teams, to stop thinking about pilots and perfect implementation and just like create a prototype and test it out with users and stop becoming so provider-centered. What we call is like just only about the, you know, the professionals and the nurses and the physicians, but they really think about the patient. And I think slowly we are chipping away at the culture and culture takes time. And it, But I think we're in the right direction. So for me as a patient, for example, I want to be able to trust the system, trust that everything that's going on in the healthcare system is regulated and that people are not just grabbing our straws, trying to come up with something new without doing the proper homework. So where is the balance here? Like, where's the balance of quality assurance following the process to make sure safety is guaranteed? So where do you balance between keeping things safe and, and going out of the box? So, Wumi, I'm going to challenge a little bit of that notion. That was, the, that was the patient probably 10, 15 years ago. And patients now, you know, of course, everyone wants safety. Like, yes, we want privacy. We want people to do that. But it's not enough. We're realizing that patients are wanting what I call is, you know, the in Airbnb world, they say, I want an 11 out of 10 experience, not a 10 out of 10. I'm also, our, our patients are now what we call as our healthcare consumers. They're much more educated. Mm-hmm. They go on Google. They want to know is like, okay, why isn't the Mayo Clinic doing this kind of, a, you know, unique cutting edge um, therapy and why aren't you doing it? Can you guys try this new medicine? It's not, it's very like, uh, not mainstream, but can you guys try it? Our, our patients are becoming what you, um, is much more in control, much more informed and have higher expectations. And they are willing to, to, you know, what I would say is give some leeway to healthcare systems in the name of innovation. But right now, what I think it's not a patient issue. It's actually um, our own um, leaders and providers, our actual culture of healthcare, which is run by these organizations, which we are still quite behind in trying to become innovative. And what I feel like is, is we just need to create a space right now. We are right now two on the other end of continuum where we are really risk averse. And we just need to start shifting to a place where we can we can start taking some risks, start trying new innovative things and m- make it part of our, our right, own culture right. and mindset. And what's, what's your challenge for the healthcare worker? Like the nurse, the, the lab 
technician? What mindset do we need to begin to have as healthcare workers in terms of um, not just thinking about the job as input is equal to output without, like, from my experience talking with uh, people or knowing people in healthcare, they just want to do what they know nurses are supposed to do. Or I spoke with a nurse that, that went from one-to-one patient care to go study something on bioinformatics. So wow. what's your challenge to, to healthcare providers? Like, how can they widen the scope mm. of their knowledge and how they want to treat people? You know, um, I'll give you an example. The, uh, the College of Nurses, Karna, in, in Alberta, they, they give awards every year on, on different, you know, distinguished service and, you know, great leadership. And right now, they don't have any award that says being an innovative entrepreneurial health leader, right? So I think the professional uh, bodies and, and healthcare professionals themselves are what's coming in the way. The younger demographic are much more open than the older ones. And that's, that's pretty much a case in across all different industries. But I think the, prof- the professions have to evolve themselves to start thinking like we need to create, we need to evolve and we need to start that by creating the space to be different, to challenge the way we do things and, and be something that may not be what we were 50 years ago or 60 years ago and redefine ourselves. Mm -hmm. Everything like is part of, you know, in the public health sector, there is this unfortunate, what I call is this complacency develops, right? Because there is no market pressure for you to evolve compared to in the tech world, for example, where if you do not innovate, Mm -hmm. nobody will buy your product or you will get obsolete right. in the public sector. There's nothing like that because you technically that there's a one, the government's paying, not the consumer. And people still feel like our healthcare is free, which is not, but you know, that changes the, the way people interact. People are just happy. We have healthcare here, but our team is saying we need to be much more than that. It's not enough to be mm-hmm. really good at providing, uh, you know, a good service, but, how we can go into different territories and really become different and, and push ourselves. And for example, you know, we're trying to adopt a virtual care now, but this should have been done 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new, right? So these are things that we're trying. And the pandemic actually has helped us in our favor. I would say that um, of adopt, adopting virtual technologies, but we still right, have a way to go. Right. Do, do you think um, the educational sector, the education providers, are they a stakeholder you are engaging as well? Because when you, you talked about creating the space for people to be more exploratory, and how about what options are there? Like if, if everything that's available is to study regular nursing, I mean, are there crossovers? Are there courses that interject medicine with engineering that people can take? So are you engaging the educational sector to be more innovative in their offerings as well? Um, not our lab in, in particularly, but to be very honest with you, like the medical education and the education sector is, is still, especially in health, is 
is all about making sure you are a good nurse. You're good at following orders, following protocol. Hmm. We're not really creating independent critical thinkers because if you do that, you are going to be reprimanded or, or, you know, don't come with two great ideas because you might get kiboshed. Except on and medical so, TV shows. We, we get those. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But again, remember that those most of them are from states and the state's a whole different game, mm. right? And this is the underlying thing that people forget. Like, I'll give you an example. Do you know most of the, there's, Canada comes up with a lot of biotech um, healthcare innovations, but hardly those companies or those ideas get actually commercialized bought yeah. and adopted in Canada. No, they don't get commercialized in Canada. They all go to states. And then after several years, they come back when Canada somehow, you know, um, gets the money to mm. adopt that technology. And we never, we never got the pa- patent. We never got the, the actual, you know, the expertise in how they're all in states now. I'll give you a perfect example. We have a lot of companies who are doing pill robots. These are basically uh, amazing devices that help with medical uh, me- medicine dispense- dispensing. They can Bluetooth connection with your pharmacist. Um, people put it in their home. Seniors helps to, you know, you can have it in their home and it dispenses medications and you don't need a person to be coming to your home. Now, that makes common sense, right? And that company right now that I know um, had, hardly got any customers from Canada. But now they have, they've gone to states and three states have adopted that technology with with the me- Medicare funding. And they're like, yeah, I love you, love it. We need this. And they're, they're now number one customer is mm. US. So, and not Canada. And it's unfortunate because it's a Canadian company. And part of it is, I would say is, of course, we have a different funding structure, but we haven't even created space for saying like, why don't we have some amount of money allocated every year to say, we're going to test new products. We're going to create an incubator within a hospital on our healthcare system. And we're going to give these new Mm -hmm. technologies, these new innovators, the chance. And that's one of my things that I'm trying to do um, in, in the healthcare system and um, last year, we kind of tried to do that with, we, I hosted the first pitch competition as part of a I4 conference, which is an innovation conference uh, hosted by Alberta Health Services. And we wanted oh, to... How did, that, how did that go? It went amazing. People actually loved the first time they actually, I think pitch competitions are pretty, you know, common in the tech world, but in healthcare world, mm-hmm. I think this is the, actually, this is the first time... We, we ever did a pitch competition within Alberta Health Services. Never before. It was just like poster presentation, very academic. People loved it. It was like American Idol, but the healthcare version, right? And <laughs> right. right. But and and these we 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 worked with three companies. One of them, the one I mentioned about the dispensation one, trying to get them adopted or involved into our tech world. Um, in and mm-hmm. from in, in in you know in our healthcare system. And we made some inroads, but it is very difficult. And we are learning as we're, you know, trying to make things better, but it is very difficult. And I think part of it is, is to now health leaders have to really think about how can we create space? It's not about, okay, we're going to become innovative and forget about the rest. No, no. 
It's about creating pockets and spaces for innovation, for allowing for these brilliant minds in our can Canadian, in Alberta, Calgary, who are doing some great things, but they just don't get this, the opportunity to try and test. Mm -hmm. So I feel like so I'm going on a rant against my, my organization. <laughs> No, no, you're doing great. Yeah. Like I, I, the, I like um, how invested you are in this and how you're bringing to the fore um, all the things that need to be challenged. I, and also appreciating what's already being done. And you sit on this board, Canadian College of Health Leaders. Is that the major focus of this board as well? Yeah. So the Canadian College of Health Leaders, just to give a background for our, uh, our listeners, it's basically, um, it's a national organization. and it's about helping health leaders across Canada to, you know, develop their skills, become better leaders, um, also network with other leaders and really, you know, and the chapters, the local chapters, I'm part of the Calgary Southern Alberta chapter. And we host events to on different topics um, to help leaders grow and become better. And my being a board member, my sole focus was to, to provide spaces for health leaders to to flex their innovative muscles to become more creative and so um, I've been with them for the past three years uh, this is my fourth year going in and great board and that sort of thing is we're trying to find ways of helping shift the mindset and so for me it, it's at work but also outside of work through this um, um, this board that I'm doing and we have about 300 members and we host workshops mm -hmm. uh, or sessions oh, every once a month uh, once a month um and on different topics and um most recent one we did was was really around um how to you know use data to empower patients but also teams and so yeah this is an example of how we're trying to you know change the world i mean it, it's it's great like there's a long way to go for healthcare to catch up in terms of innovation but I think you guys are already, I mean, you in particular, Ali, you're involved in, in moving the needle already with the AHS Design Lab and this um, board you sit on. I say we're on the right track, right? We are on the right track. That's a nice way of putting. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And it's what I call it. There's a culture lag. That's all it is. It's a right, culture lag. Right, right. And uh, something else you are very passionate about in, uh, is health equity in terms of how much um, access to healthcare people have when you compare rural and urban settlements. What's, what are you doing in that space? Could you just help understand, repeat the question again? I just wanted to... Health, health equity, I know we had talked about this when we were chatting earlier, how the rural set, settlements in Alberta don't have access to the same... I mean, even as it is right now, it appears... Not everyone gets access to the same things in terms of healthcare. Right. How how is that a challenge in Alberta? What do you think is feeding that? Hmm. So I think part of it is is it is no different compared to other sectors when you think about you know the urban centers always have the more resources, the more talent compared to the rural centers, and because it, the metropolis attract all the talents or all, all the jobs there. And as a consequence, we see that, um, you know, in healthcare for our audiences, just to give you an example, like, you know, because we don't have really good internet infrastructure in the rural Alberta, 
we cannot really provide virtual healthcare to them, right? So it's like step number one needs to be done before we can do step number two. And I do know uh, there's the pan-Canadian strategy and push now trying to, in Alberta, but also across Canada, to get good internet to all Canadians, almost becoming a, a, a new right. It's a human right to have internet, right? And um, mm-hmm. and I think what also kind of for me is from a health equity perspective is is it's not about comparing or trying to be, you know, whatever we services we have in urban centers, replicate them and bring it back to a rural center. That would be very uh, ineffective, not cost-effective and also inefficient because we do want to consolidate talent. We also want to, what I call is, create some sort of um, expertise in a few people instead of being too distributed everywhere. And however, we do want is, is the rural areas do have their strengths and assets, which is strong community and a very, uh, what I call is um, a different lifestyle, which some of the people in the city envy. And so instead of creating, you know, let's look to the urban centers and try to become, you know, like them, we should, we're trying to say is health equity sometimes is like, okay, make sure that the, the rural strengths don't get diminished. And we actually enhance those things that are really, that make the rural uh, folks living and their healthcare system unique and, and build on that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that people that choose to live in those places can live there comfortably and not be first into urban centers, right? Exactly. And, 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 and to be honest with you, like urbanization is happening. The data is showing like by the next 10, 15 years, the, the population in the rural centers is even going to decrease more, right? And that's just going to happen. So that we, we cannot forget about those who are living there and be like, oh, well, they just need to move here. But how can we provide them with the right care closest to their home? And for sure, we need virtual technology to in, to really support that so that they can stay in their homes. But we need some really basic stuff like internet and and some really mm-hmm. uh, fundamental things before we can, you know, uh, really equalize that. Okay. Um, Ali, if you want to touch on a little bit something you do on your own time um, in terms of tackling elderly loneliness. I know you're doing some social innovation work in that space. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah. Um, so my father had Parkinsonism and um, I was his caregiver for many years and I and he used to live with me and I've seen him, you know, go from this amazing man who has traveled across the world. He was a captain of in of a ship. So he would, you know, sail around the world with cargo shipping, always on his feet. And then when the disease took over, he went from someone, you know, walking to a walker to wheelchair to a bed. And then a few months afterwards, he passed away. And I saw this progression and, and, you know, it really hit me hard that I wanted, really wanted to, I noticed that a fundamental thing is, is seniors right now are experiencing what they call is loneliness and social isolation. And I think this became to the forefront uh, through the pandemic. And so I, I really wanted to, what I call is, I wanted to make a difference before the pandemic started in the lives of seniors. So I started this kind of social enterprise to connect students with seniors to help them with, you know, everyday household needs and help them around the home. 
and we we started this venture and we got our first couple of clients and this was a our business model was like a pay per use piece and we were just you know in the initial testing phase and then unfortunately the pandemic happened and because of all the healthcare restrictions i had to make the tough call like you know we just can't put people at risk and we just need to think about just trying to take one step at a time with this pandemic but i still so i had to stop my venture you can say and but it really hit me hard because mm-hmm. i just couldn't sit there and be like i cannot wait until the pandemic's over i still want to help these uh, seniors so one of my colleagues she worked in long term care homes and residents where seniors live in in, in settings and um she you know she told me about how many so many seniors right now there's no one meeting them there's no volunteers families can't meet them and they're totally lonely and for me i didn't have nothing to offer other than i said i wish i could just send them cards so i i with my kids we started making cards on the weekends and i started dropping them off at these residents homes and then i started posting on social media and all of a sudden i have this huge amount of interest from people and before you know it people are sending me cards and i'm all these amazing students and individuals and community members are coming and trying to say like you know what i wanted to do something over the pandemic and this was a perfect safe way to do it because i would collect the cards and i would drop them off so i became what i call as a middleman so i created a, what do you mm-hmm. call in the tech world a marketplace of of right. goodness and now wow. a year later we have sent over 2800 cards in calgary and edmonton we have about had almost close to 260 volunteers not just from calgary we had from all over alberta newfoundland ontario bc saskatchewan we had people from brazil and india and to wow. send cards and for me i they're the real mvps for me i'm just someone who's just trying to you know do something um mm. and trying to just find a need fill a need so I think that's absolutely awesome, Ali. So how, where can people find more information if they want to get involved? In yeah, this we always love to accept cards. And, um, and if you know of any nursing homes or if you know a senior who would love a card, you can just go on our website. It's called joingenhelp.com. So that's J-O-I-N-G-E-N-H-E-L-P.com. And all the instructions are there. Um, you have our contact information. If you have any ideas, you can just go there and help out. Um, and there's something to do good during the pandemic and make a difference in someone's lives. Wow. It's so great chatting with you, Ali. On a final note, if the pandemic was over, what's one thing you will jump at? Something you've, you've been waiting to do? Oh, well, I have a list. But for me, <laughs> <laughs> for me, I think it would be to take my kids and my family and visit my, my family in Ontario. Mm. And for me, that's like, that's the connection I'm missing. I, I'm a very family oriented person and I would love to do that. Yeah. I hope you're able to do that sooner than later. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ali. It's been wonderful chatting with you this afternoon. Thank you, Bumi. It's All been right. amazing chatting. If you haven't already, Visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. 
This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners, like you, are coming together to transform tomorrow. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.